Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 142. The trio is here. Myself, Peyton, we got Josh, and holy shit, we got not Coy Dexter. He went and got his last name changed from last time we heard him. We got Coy going on the show. Coy, what up, my dude? What's going on, guys? Just happy to be back. After a little uh, hiatus uh, in the backwoods for a week, you know, I'm glad to be back for sure. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back, my friend. Um, Dude, what a, I mean, we say this every week, right? What a crazy time in college basketball. But the month is, or the calendar is officially flipped to March. I know we're going to review some of the early week games from March 1st and beyond early. Damn. I mean, to the tournament, I can taste it. Oh, yeah. One March, baby. And it's definitely exciting. But as always, this episode of this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and part with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more info. And Josh, you alluded to it. We are in the month of March. And today... We do got a special interview with you guys. We're going to bring on Matt St. Jean from the Road to the Garden podcast, one of our teammates uh, for House Enterprise that I just mentioned. But before we get into that, we're waiting on him to join. Let's go ahead and talk about a record that's going to be broken most likely today. I betting all my money that's going to be broken today. Antoine Davis is 26 points away from breaking Pete Maric's overall all-time scoring record. Boys, I know we talked about it about, about four weeks ago, maybe a month ago, because he was getting close. And I'm pretty sure, I know I didn't expect him to get this damn close, and I didn't expect him to break it. But now he they play tonight against, who is it, a Youngstown State? Um, or whoever they play. They play, they play tonight. He has a chance to break it. Yeah, it's young. Away. It's young. Does he break it tonight? Will we make history? Does Antoine Davis get the record tonight? Absolutely, 100%, without a doubt. The kid can flat out score the basketball. He can shoot. He can drive. He can do a little bit of everything when it comes to putting the ball in the hoop. 100%, he breaks it without a doubt. Josh, what do you got? I would not be surprised. I I would not be surprised if he doesn't break it by halftime tonight. I think tonight's a special night where he has the opportunity to break the time record. And he's been known to be microwave hot. I would not be surprised to see him by halftime have 30, 32 points. I think it's very possible. I hope he breaks it. Listen, to all the people out there that's complaining, like, oh, Pete Maravich did his without the three-point line and oh, all this other BS that we've been hearing. Who really gives a shit? It's an incredible accomplishment. What do you want him to do? To not go out there and break it? No, of course he's going to go out there. He's going to do what he can, and he's going to break it tonight. He's going to get 26 points. And, Josh, I'm, I think I agree with you. He might get it in the first half. He's definitely capable of that. Completely with you. I think we're seeing history tonight, but it looks like our special guest is here, Peyton, so take it away. Yes, sir. We've got, I mentioned we was trying to get him on, I think it was last week. Unfortunately, we had to reschedule and get some stuff done, but we got him on today. We got head of content, Road to the Garden, and co-founder of Flex Hoops, Matt St. Jean. Matt, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on, man. 
I'm very, very excited to be here. It's uh, Yeah, we've been trying to get this done for a while, so I'm glad I could finally come on. And before you mainly cover the Big East, before we're going to get into talking about some Big East in a minute, but we just got done talking about Antoine Davis and how he's 26 uh, points away from beating the record. Do you think he gets the record tonight? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to be tuned in for this, too. This is uh, this is the most exciting story in college basketball tonight, at least, in my opinion. And uh, I think it deserves more more press coverage than it's gotten, too. It's not often you see something like this happen. It's been 53 years. <laughs> and, and, it's wild, uh, Pey- and it's wild, too, because Peyton mentioned that uh, the, there's like these certain group of people who are upset that well, he did it in five years, and there's a three-point line. And I'm like, what do you want him to do? Like, he's got to play. He's scoring the basketball. He's took less than half the shots Pete Maravich has taken. So I think some people just want to be outraged anytime there's change. But since we're here with you to talk some Big East, man, I think the story of the Big East calendar this year has got to be Marquette. Just wrapped up their first outright Big East title the other night. Um, talk to us about Marquette the season they've had, what a great job Shaka Smart's done. Talk to us a little bit about Marquette and the season that they've had. Well, I think my first question here is, can I swear on this show? Because you can't oh, tell dude, the story dude. of the oh, season. Hold up. Absolutely. <laughs> they got an F-bomb counter for me. You go ahead and swear as much as you want, man. Go ahead. Well, the, the story of this year for Marquette starts at Media Day when I got to talk to Tyler Kolek, who may be the Big East Player of the Year this year. And I, I was actually, I wasn't there talking to him. I was talking to another guy at the table, but I asked the group, hey, you guys got picked ninth. What do you think about that? And he's the first one that said something. He just goes, fuck them. And from that point on, <laughs> that's been Marquette's motto. And uh, they came out in non-conference, played tough with Purdue on the road. I think that's when we figured, oh, this team might actually be better than we thought. They beat the living daylights out of Baylor a couple weeks later. And since then, they've just been cruising. This is one of the best offenses in college basketball. Maybe the best passing team I've watched all year long. So quick off the dribble. And they're one of the few offenses that is elite without being an elite three-point shooting team. Their offense is entirely around getting downhill, getting to the basket, getting high-quality shots. And um, it's you watch them play, too. There's not a lot of fouls when they play because their guys get so wide open that <laughs> there's no – they can't get fouls. This offense is fantastic. It's a great story. First outright Big East championship in program history for Marquette. Um, and we're seeing that, that VCU Shaka come back, I think, with guys that are – it's what he did at VCU, but with guys who are better talented. The guy, it's the guys he and wants, the, not just the guys that would be there. And the crazy thing, you mentioned the Purdue game. That was Peyton and I's first game of the year covering, and we were there. And we walked away, even though they lost the game, we walked away super impressed. First with Cam Jones. He lit Purdue up and thought, all right, maybe Marquette's a little better than what we thought. Now, we didn't think back in November they would end up being this good. But you mentioned the offense. When you watch yeah. them play, they go five out, and they'll bring Oso Iguodaro out as a passer. And when they start their back cuts, that is a lethal offense. And it's you mentioned Shaka VCU. Well, he always hung his hat defensively. So the fact yeah. that at one point this year they had the number one offense in college basketball, I think that speaks volumes of not only Shaka's development, but what they were able to do as a collective. Because they're outside of college. There's not a superstar on this team. Um, so when you look at Marquette, their, their chances of March going forward, I think they're projecting anywhere between like a three and five seed. 
When you look at Marquette for the tournament, what do you see and what is their ceiling? Uh, well, I think the first thing I say is uh, th this defense hasn't been what you would expect from a Shaka Smart unit, but it is still good and they still press you. That's one of the reasons the offense has been so good because the second they start scoring, then they press and then it's harder for opposing offenses and then they can get out in transition and it just kind of snowballs from there. And I think the fact that they play a distinct style and have a core identity makes them very difficult in a tournament environment. This is a hard team to beat. Do you want to do it on one day rest where you get like one practice, one walkthrough to watch film and know what it is that you're going to have to go against? They're the kind of team, once they get through uh, whoever the, the second game in a weekend, I think they're incredibly dangerous in that spot, and they're as good as anybody in college basketball. And I think the fact that they don't rely on the three ball as much means they're not susceptible to one of those games where they just can't shoot, where they come out and it's not falling for them. They're not a Xavier where they've had that issue this year. So uh, I think their, their ceiling is incredibly high in a tournament. I think they can get bodied by bigger teams. That's probably the weakness. That's what you look for, and that's where they've lost games this year. But outside of that, they do basically everything well, and uh, they can make the Final Four. They can, they can win a national championship if the stars align for them. The biggest thing you just said there that caught my eye, and I noticed it early on in the season where Josh alluded to, we went to the Purdue Marquette game early in November. And the fact the fact is that they don't rely too much on a three-point line. It shows how good this offense can really be. I mean, Josh mentioned at one point they were number one in offense efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Right now they dropped to fourth, still top five. They're number one in two-point percentage. And it's not like they're shooting a trash percentage from three. They're shooting about 35.3% from the three-point line, which is, to me, that's pretty damn average. That's not bad. If they can ever make it's, a run. It's good. Yeah, if they yeah. ever make a run where they hit about 40% of the threes, then I definitely see they got guys like Tyler Cook and Cam Jones that can get buckets. Tyler Cook, outside of any Jayhawk, is probably my favorite player in the country to watch. So much fun to watch. <laughs> so much fun to watch. The way he controls the pace, he can hit some shots, he gets out and defend. He's all around a great leader, and I love watching this kid play. I agree. I think Marquette and Shaka Smart has done an incredible job this year. Moving on to another team. Let's go to Connecticut. At one point, Connecticut was talked about to be in the best team in the country in December and November. They've kind of fallen off once we got to the Big East play. But now they're starting to get things going. They've won the majority of the games. The last loss they've had was February 11th against a Creighton team who was on fire, and they lost by three points, and that was at uh, Creighton. They've won four games in a row. They beat uh, Providence 87-69. to 69. Do you still think Connecticut with this team, can you still see them get to a Final Four? What's their ceiling in March? I think they are the most volatile team. I think they might have the lowest floor of any team in the Big East when it comes to going to the tournament, and they might be the only team I'm confident about being able to win a national championship because they can do so much well and they can dominate you on the glass and inside in so many ways that defense is – ridiculously good when it's playing well the issue is they had a month there where they couldn't stop fouling on defense they couldn't stop turning it over on offense i think point guard play is a bit of a question mark and how they are officiated in the ncaa tournament will be something they play physically they get a tough whistle and things aren't going their way they can get ousted in the first round they've lost back-to-back -back years and gotten upset in the first round so that's something that could absolutely happen to them again with the, the wrong matchup with just the wrong day but 
uh, they'll they'll go as far as some of these. I mean, they got rosters loaded, and they're playing great basketball right now. They get Villanova on Saturday. I think it's going to tell us a lot about where they are. And we're looking at a collision course between UConn and Marquette on Friday night in the Big East tournament, which I think is going to be an exciting and thrilling game to watch if we do get that. Well, you mentioned I, I want to switch gears real quick for because you mentioned Villanova, a team that I think we're all very interested in. Come in with a lot of promise. New head coach was kind of the question mark, but a guy mm. like Cam Whitmore, super talented freshman. They struggled. Like it, it was obvious. They struggled. And now they're starting to put things together. We mentioned on one of the shows a few weeks ago, we mentioned Villanova as a potential bid deep. I think the way they're playing, they can go go to Madison Square Garden and win whatever it is, four and four days, five and five days, and still a bid. What is your read on Villanova right now? Well, I think I think we're still figuring that out. That, that Villanova-UConn game this Saturday, I think, is going to tell us a lot about where both of those teams are because they're both trending up. They're both playing some of the best basketball they've played all year right now. And Villanova basically can't afford any more losses the rest of the way. I think they are as good as any other team in the Big East right now but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to win a Big East tournament. I think they can do it. They're going to get an easy draw in the first round. They're going to get Georgetown. That shouldn't be an issue for them. They should be able to get through that one. And the way things are looking right now, they're probably getting Providence the day after that. This is a Providence team that swept them this year. Both games were were close for stretches. Um, they had the lead in the second half of both games. They can play with them. They need to turn it into a win this time. And I think that's the thing. I think we've seen all year long that, especially now that they're playing well, they can play with everybody. It's just about getting the quad one wins. It's about beating the top teams. They didn't have a quad one win until like two weeks ago. Yeah, that's not something you would ever expect to say about Villanova. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Providence because I want to ask you about them. I love Ed Cooley. I love what he's done so far with this Providence program. And what's your thoughts on yesterday? Xavier goes into the amp. Well, a lot of people, a lot of teams, when they go into the end, they normally don't come out victorious, but they went in there and put up 94 points on Providence in the amp and beat uh, Providence in the amp. What's your thoughts on that? Because, man, not a lot of teams go into the amp this year or any year and come out victorious. I think Xavier's a matchup nightmare for Providence. I think they do a lot of things well to exploit the issues that Providence has. I think the Friars are a good team. This is a clearly a tournament team. But every team, I don't know, in college basketball, there's a certain amount of rock, paper, scissors to it. Teams are good at different things and different matchups can exploit different stuff. And Providence's issue has all year long on defense has been not been able to communicate well. And Xavier is the second best passing team in the Big East and maybe the second best passing team in the country, the way things have looked behind Marquette there. And they were able to exploit it all game long. And this is, I think, twice in, in three games now that this Providence defense has given up a ton of points. They got abused on the glass by UConn. Now that they have a team that was just getting easy cut to the basket all game long. I mean, I don't know how much of that game you guys watched, but the entire second half was just Xavier back cut, Xavier back cut, Xavier back cut, wide open shots. Xavier went, I think, 18 of 25 from the floor in the second half. Uh, they, they were pushing every button. And Ed Cooley had no answer for it. And I don't think it's a coaching thing. I think it's a personnel thing. Xavier has guys take advantage of, of the guys the Friars have. And I think Providence should try to stay as far away from that team in the Big East tournament as possible because I don't know if it's going to get better the next time. And it's even crazier. No Zach Fremantle. Um, I don't know. I, oh, yeah. Sorry. I was just saying 
um, you know, um, I still haven't heard a timetable on his return, but before we let you get out of here, Matt, next week you will be inside the garden for the tournament. In a, in a minute or two, he tell us your preview of the garden. What do you expect? And ultimately, who do you think is going to end up as the automatic qualifier from the Big East Conference next weekend? It's uh, for a pick. I'm going to have to think about that for a second. Let me think about that while I preview it. I think um, Thursday <laughs> is going to be amazing. I think Friday night is going to be absolutely fantastic because that's when we're going to get it weaned down to whoever the top four teams in the conference are. And an MSG, that's always an electric environment for that. And I think that's going to – I think you got six teams right now that you think are playing good basketball, and – two of them get eliminated on Thursday. So who those teams are will tell us a lot. If Villanova gets eliminated, we're going to know right off the bat, I think they're not making it and they're going to need to keep winning of the other teams in the top five, whoever doesn't make it, I think will be interesting. And I think for it'll matter for seeding, especially Providence is probably the team that, that matters the most to seeding right now, because I think they're not a solid lock into any seed line at this point. Uh, and when you get to Friday, it's, I think it's just going to be great basketball. Like, I think every team can win it that's in the top six of the conference right now. And I just want to see what happens, man. Like, I'm going in as a journalist, but I'm also going in as a fan here because it's, I think, a lot of teams that can make a run in March, and it's going to be the best environment in all of college basketball, and we're going to have some fun watching it. Based on how the teams are playing right now, I'm going to say UConn gets it done and ends up winning this. I don't feel great about any pick though. You could you could draw any any team it's, out of a hat except maybe Georgetown and I could make an argument for Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most we've talked about it. It's the most exciting or uh, the most excited we've been for the Big East tournament in many years. Cuz usually you kind of go in yeah. and it's well, a couple teams. You kind of figure like Villanova or whoever's red hot. I think this thing is wide the hell open this year and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah I told Josh. Hey, I real quick, that- I know I I know Sorry, I told Josh. I was just going to mention. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I'm watching Washington. No, you go ahead. I'm mad. I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, I'll take the lane here. Um, I told Josh about a couple weeks ago that the Big 12 conference is the best conference in college basketball. I don't know how anyone can argue against that. It's the best conference in college basketball. But the most intriguing conference tournament. It's going to be the Big East and Madison, Madison Square Garden. That's the best. Uh, that's going to be the most um, entertaining conference tournament there is. And I can't wait to watch that, man. I'm glad you guys are going to be there to be able to experience that live. And, man, I hope you guys have a fun. And I tell you what, when we do our conference uh, tournament preview for that, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. It depends on how the bracket goes because I need to see it. But don't sleep on Villanova. Don't sleep on the Wildcats, man. Yeah. Don't sleep on them. Well, that's why if I I think I think the most interesting question to ask here is who are the teams that you want to see play on Friday? Who do you want in those matchups? I feel like Marquette UConn is locked in as one of them. But I think the other one is interesting. I think you could see Xavier Providence. You could see Xavier Villanova. Creighton can end up on that side. That's the other thing. Creighton's going to end up, I think, right now on the side with UConn and Marquette. This is a team that was... Everybody was saying it was a Final Four contender at the start of the year, and is that talented? So there's the assumption that UConn and Marquette are the top two teams in the conference right now, and that's how you overlook a team like Creighton that is more than good enough to beat both of those teams. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm just excited to sit back, watch, enjoy this show, and uh, that should be a good one. Josh, you got anything else? 
Nah, that was it. You literally took what I was going to say where we talked about it. The Big 12 is the best conference, but we've always said this year that the Big East is the most entertaining. So that was it. Especially if you cut off the bottom four or five teams there. Oh, yeah. I mean, cut off DuPaul, Butler, yeah. Georgetown. Just cut them all off. That, that, um, well, uh, did you guys watch that Butler-Marquette game the other night? No. Oh, oh yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. That was not – that was not it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Matt, we appreciate you joining <laughs> us. We appreciate you joining the show. I'm glad to finally get you on the show to talk some Big East basketball about with you. Um, go ahead and plug all your stuff and just let everyone know where to find you at. Yeah, I do. I cover Big East at Road to the Garden. That's at Road, the number two, the garden. We have a podcast that we're actually, we're going to have a show in like two hours. So if you want more Big East stuff, you can come tune in for that cover Providence basketball specifically. I'm an alum there. Uh, we're, we're, uh, that's the flex hoops. I do that with uh, my friend Joe. So go ahead and, and listen to that. And if there's any, if there's any NFL guys out there listening to, I cover the Patriots as well oh. for Pat's pulpit of SB nation. I know our reputation precedes us. We're, <laughs> hey, we're all Packers fans here, man, except for Corey. Well, yeah. I was going to say, don't be, throwing that, don't be putting that on me now. <laughs> Hey, and we're going to mention of. too, Matt. We're all part. Of, uh, Corey's a Colts fan, so. Oh, there's a lot of lot of Patriots Colts beef right now. Always for the last two decades. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, it's been going on. You know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady days. So you know, <laughs> I say we got the last one. So. <laughs> and, and like Peyton said, Matt, it, it's good. It's good to have you on. We're all part of the same uh, House Enterprise, House College Troops family. Yes. So we appreciate your time, my friend. A, a pleasure to come on. We'll have to we'll have to do this at least one more time before the end of the season. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's March, baby. The madness is just around the corner. Selection Sunday is getting really close, and I can't wait for it, baby. It's time. It's net cutting season, boys. Let's go. Mm, let's go. I, need, I just I need let's a bracket. Go. I need something I can fill out. Yes, sir. I know. Maybe you can, <laughs> maybe maybe, I, maybe me and Josh can write you an application so you can find a better NFL team to root for. Maybe that's where you fell out. <laughs> Anyhow, there's dude, always thanks. room on the Packers bandwagon. He, he acts like the I Packers got... are so much better to root for. You know, his quarterback's on a hiatus because he can't even stand. <laughs> Don't talk to me about hiatuses, okay? <laughs> I will say, I got, I got nothing against the Packers. I got a lot of respect for the Packers. That game, that game this year was pretty entertaining too. So, uh, uh, I got to get yeah. that to Lambeau. That's Patriots on my list. Should beat us, but hundred percent. That's a bucket list for hundred percent. Thank you so much for joining in, man. Uh, yeah, make sure you guys go check out Road to the Garden. Go listen to the stuff. House of College Hoops, House Enterprise, you know the deal. It's bracket season. I can't wait for it, man. Matt, thank you so much for joining in. And we'll definitely have to reschedule another date to get you on the show, maybe to talk some bracket talk, maybe talk about some brackets. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But thank you so Thanks much for joining in, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Matt. And there you have it. Well, that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun. Went better than I anticipated. I went a little bit longer than I anticipated, but it's all good. Um, man, Corey, I got to talk to you about something, man. We got to go right into it. Indiana gets the shit kicked out of them by Iowa. In the Simley Hall, 90-68. to 68. What the hell happened in the Simley Hall? I don't know. I don't even know if there was a game actually that night or not because one team showed up and shot the absolute 
crap out of the basketball and was on fire. And the other team stood there on the court and, you know, but no, Iowa hats off to them. They came in, they absolutely dominated. I think, uh, I think the boys are still celebrating the Knicks or something like that because there was absolutely no basketball being played on Indiana's side. They look out of sorts. They couldn't put the, they couldn't score and they look like they're a step behind defending at all times. It was just bad news the entire night. Josh, this is a game where Chris Murray had 26 points, played 32 minutes. I mean, this kid was just absolutely balling out there. Talk to me about Indiana coming off of this big win against Purdue and Iowa looking to make a statement here, and they went into a similar hall and beat up on the Hoosiers. Talk to me about this game and what's your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, they never trailed. They jumped IU 8 nothing, had them down like 15-5, and just never let them up off the canvas. 16-5. 16-5, okay. They threw, basically, they came in, threw the first haymaker. Indiana fell to the canvas and never got up for the 10 count. I mean, it was an ass-whooping from the word go. Iowa is clicking right now. We know how good their offense is. Um, they're on fire. And you got to give a lot of credit to Fran McCaffrey and Iowa for recognition. Second half, Indiana tried to make – well, hold on. Indiana tried to make a rally – and Iowa put the game to bed with their offense. They spread the floor like they normally do. And they had Miller Cop guarding Chris Murray. And he went 1v1 at least six or seven times in the second half. And there was no help side. And he just whipped Miller Cop to the rim. Iowa out-schemed, out-toughed, out-played, out-fought Indiana. Anything that had an out as a prefix to it, that's what they did to Indiana. Even Mike Woodson at the end of the game apologized to the fans for a bullshit performance. Um, Iowa just kicked the crap out of Indiana, and IU looked like a dead team out there. And Peyton, before I get to the, the standings, how much that affects it, uh, your thoughts on that because Iowa just dominated the Hoosiers. I think it is the most surprising result is we know this Iowa team, especially under Fran McCaffrey, we know they can go out and put up 80, 90 points a game, but they don't defend with shit. And the fact that they held Indiana to 68 points, um, Indiana shot 211 for the three point line, which is 18%, did not shoot the ball well at all. Um, I think that says a lot about this Iowa squad. They're still ranked like 153rd in Kempom, according to, uh, for efficient uh, defensively. Um, if they could ever get close to top 100 in defense, I think they could potentially make a run in March because they got a guy in Chris Murray that can go get him buckets. And Perkins played well in this game as well. He had 23, 23, 10, and 8. He was fighting with a triple-double. But their defense just – their defense is just inconsistent. It has been all year, and it's going to continue to be this way. But if they can never figure it out defensively, I think they have the talent to potentially make a run in March. The only thing that worries me about the Iowa squad total, though, is the fact is, you know, they're such a, a miss uh, away from home. It's like, you know, at home they're averaging a, or a little over 90 points. On the road it drops down to 69 per, uh, per, or points total. You know, the shooting percentages it shows – I mean, at home, they shoot a high percentage on the road. I think it dropped down to, like, 38% or something absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, you know, I mean, they came into Assembly Hall, and like Josh mentioned, they came out and threw the first punch, and Indiana never responded. But it's like, you know, they do have Chris Murray. They, you know, they had some other shooters really step up and hit, you know, got in a run. And, you know, when one shot goes down, it's contagious, and it just continued on. But it's like, you know, how, how often can they do that out of Hawkeye Arena? 
Well, well, I mean, they showed that at least in this game, they came into, you know how tough Assembly Hall is, and they came in and put a whooping, so maybe they're turning the corner there and peeking at the right time. But here's my fear with Iowa, like it is every year. Then the same thing Peyton mentioned is the consistency. I feel like this is the time of year Iowa gets red hot. They always play great, fun, innovative offense where they spread the floor, shoot threes, back in open paint. But it doesn't happen for whatever reason in the NCAA tournament. So I'm still skeptical. Shouldn't be. I'm still very skeptical until they prove otherwise. But you look at the Big Ten standings here. And Indiana, we talked about it. We had this debate. IU needs the double bye, Corey. They're in real danger. If they lose Saturday to Michigan, they're in real danger having to play in an extra day. Indiana has to get a double bye. We don't have to rehash this argument, but conference standings race has gotten really tight from like two to nine right now. Um, your thoughts on it, man, because they had a golden opportunity to secure a double bye with the win. Now they're back to yep. fighting for their seeding life here. Yeah, no. I mean, the thing is, it's like even with the double buyer, you know, even looking ahead, it's like they finally climbed back into that four range and we're looking in a really good position come the NCAA tournament time to potentially be playing in either Orlando or Louisville. And it's like now, you know, they drop that game. They potentially drop into, you know, playing an extra day at the Big Ten tournament and potentially moving off that line where they're in a different location. But it's like, no, absolutely. I mean, they 100% need to beat Michigan. Uh, I mean, Ohio State helped them out um, by knocking off Maryland yesterday. And so, I mean, they kind of tighten things back up. But, no, they absolutely need to take another win there and need the opportunity to go into the Big Ten tournament, play Friday, hopefully get a win there, win, or a couple and make it on to Saturday or Sunday. And it's like, you know, I mean, the easiest path there needs to be in that top four where, you know, they potentially have a matchup uh, that's a little bit more favorable for them. Peyton, one loss or one win, one loss, one game basically separate through eight in this conference. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Not only does Indiana need to double by, they also need Xavier Johnson back. And does anyone, do anyone know when he's coming back? Like, does anyone have any clue of when Xavier Johnson's coming back? Because they're going to need him when it comes to March. And not only do they need him, but they also need him to be ready. And I don't know if he's going to be ready by when it comes to March. I don't know. Everything that I've heard. Everything I've heard is he's cleared for individual drills. He hasn't started any kind of team or contact drills. Uh, He's going through some warm-up stuff in pregame. He was actually dressed out the other night, which was kind of a surprise. Um, but no, I mean, overall, I haven't heard, you know, I know him and, uh, Woodson have had some conversations talking about, you know, that basically he needs to be a hundred percent and ready to go and able to partake in full team practice and competition and, you know, contact to be able to come back. And he hasn't been there yet. So, um, it's getting closer than what I kind of anticipate. I was hoping he'd be back by now with a little bit of a, you know, a couple games under his belt. Josh, does that not like worry you at all that he's not really participating in the fourteen practices? He's not doing anything competitive right now, and we're like a week and a half away from selection Sunday. Does that not worry you a little bit? Josh, Coy, yeah, I think I you know it, it worries me. I mean, I think uh, I think Indiana needs somebody else. I mean. Uh, Jalen Josefino's done a phenomenal job. Trey Galloway's kind of stepped up and taken that role on. 
and done a great job as well. But I think I think they need somebody that's a, a true uh, point guard defender. Uh, I mean, that's what Iowa did to absolutely destroy them. Uh, was back cutting and just had somebody that was a little bit more explosive speed wise and truly could handle the point. And I think going into the NCAA tournament, they just need another option uh, to kind of alleviate some, also kind of help keep you guys fresh and kind of give guys a, uh, a new opportunity to kind of move off the ball and, you know, kind of operate the offense. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I think, uh, I think it a hundred percent is concerning. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, let's move on. Let's go to the SEC conference. Uh, big game that happened. Tennessee uh, knocked off or t- took down Arkansas, seventy-five to fifty-seven. Tennessee beat the shit out of them. But the biggest storyline in this that I want to talk about is that Sakai Ziegler, three minutes in, ended up tearing his ACL and he's out for the season. Josh, I'm gonna go to you for this one because. This is something you've had to deal with twice in your career playing basketball. Um, what's your thoughts on this? And this is Tennessee coming into this game, with the, especially with Zakai Ziegler, they were always struggling with him. And the fact that they don't have their starting point guard, it's starting to get a lot more that they can definitely go out in the first round. So what's your thoughts on this? And players jump to Zakai Ziegler, hope he uh, recovers from this. Yeah, I'm watching the game live, obviously, because it was a big-time clash, and it was just a non-contact. He went hammer action, went out of, like, baseline, tried to make a pass, and it just he landed awkward, landed to the inside, the knee went to the inside, and he tore the ACL. I've done that exact same thing, basically. Um, It's the smallest things that tear. I know the pain that he's probably in right now and the pain he's going to be after, like, immediately after surgery. So my prayers are up to him. He's been through a lot in his life. Um, it's been well documented. So this is a terrible situation, especially not only for him, but for Tennessee, because they struggle scoring the basketball as is. Now you take away one of their primary scorers, their primary ball handler. It's bad all around. So you got to give them a lot of credit for this win. They put a whooping on a good Arkansas team that's been playing better with Nick Smith and company. The fact that they were able to still win on senior night and rally. I think that is more of a case of the moment as opposed to what could be going in the future because without Zakai Ziegler running the show, I think Tennessee's in real trouble. But, yeah, man, tearing your ACL, like you mentioned, I've done it twice in my left knee like he has just done to his left knee. It is a gruesome, brutal injury that is going to take a lot of recovery time. So my thoughts, as are all your guys' and I know Phil's as well, is up with Zakai Ziegler for a speedy recovery, well wishes, but – Give Tennessee credit. They did what they had to do. They dominated this game with their physicality. But moving forward, when we get next week to Nashville and beyond to the NCAA tournament, I just don't know how they're going to handle this and manufacture points for a team that's already struggling to score. Yeah, Corey, do we mention it for the last month and a half now with this Tennessee squad? Like, they're already struggling to score with Sakai Ziggler on the floor. You take him off. Now you're taking away your starting point guard who kind of runs the show. Now you're most likely going to have to uh, start Santiago Viscovi, have him run the offense now, which he's more of an off guard than he is playing on ball. Um, that's primarily his DNA. Uh, Corey, though, I mean, you're already struggling, and now you take away their best point guard. We're already not high on them to begin with, and now they get they they don't have their uh, top point guard going into the SC tournament and going into March Madness. What's your thoughts on this Tennessee squad heading into March? Yeah, I'm 100% worried on them. I mean, we 
we've talked about it numerous times about how they are very inconsistent on the offensive end. There's some days where they look like one of the top teams in the country, and then there's other days where it looks like they're, you know, a bottom feeder. And, you know, taking and losing somebody's, you know, command of the offense has, you know, been stronger the defensive end. I mean, they've been a, what, a top five team in the Ken Palm all year defensively. Losing out on, you know, somebody that's defended extremely well in conference play, somebody that's, you know, helped the offense. I mean, like we said, that's, you know, so up and down, but you take away just any kind of component to having that. Any, and, you know, especially at this point, it is not the time. And, you know, it's it's putting them in a very, very tough spot that, you know, I don't know where they come back from. And, Josh, I'm glad you just mentioned that because that's something I didn't really think about it. Not only it's going to affect the offense, but it's going to affect their defense too because Kai Ziggler is one of the better on-ball perimeter defenders. And he's one of the best perimeter defenders not only in the SEC but in the country. So not only are you losing out on an offensive weapon, you're losing out on one of your defensive anchors, and that's going to hurt your defense a lot. No, absolutely right. Um, he is that, sm- and I mean this with all loving intent, but he's a small pest. He's only like 5'9", but he pressures the ball at a, a very high rate. So, yeah, it will affect them. I think the one silver lining that could potentially come out of this, they're going to probably have to play Ju- the freshman Julian Phillips more now. If he, I don't know if he's going to run point guard, but uh, it's almost going to be point guard co- by committee, kind of like you mentioned Vescovi. I could see Vescovi. Phillips, Jemai Meshack, they're going to have to collectively get the offense initiated. But if you can get good minutes out of Phillips here, he's bigger than Zakai Ziegler. He's a little better offensive threat if he ever gets rolling. So this could be silver lining if Phillips plays up to his five-star potential finally with increased minutes and an increased role. And Jemai Meshack has been on fire here lately. So it's not all doom and gloom for Tennessee. It's definitely not great. But if they can have any sort of silver lining, is that you hope Julian Phillips develops in a hurry and can start making big time gains and productions when they need him the most. If that happens, I think Tennessee is going to be okay. Absolutely. Let's move on. Let's go to the Big 12. And uh, listen, I ain't got my Kansas shirt on. I'm currently watching We Are Madrid. We're down one there to Barcelona. Um, I probably should put my Kansas gear on. But Tuesday night, Kansas beat Texas Tech 67-63. With that win, Kansas clinched a share of the Big 12 regular season title. And then following yesterday, Wednesday, Texas or TCU takes down Texas home to home court 75 73. Well, by the way, Mark Mullins only had like two points in that game, I believe. And with that loss, that Texas loss and Kansas wins, Kansas clinches the Big 12 regular season title outright, meaning that heading into this Saturday, it doesn't matter if Kansas beats Texas in the Moody Center or if we lose. It don't matter because Kansas is crowned Big 12 regular season champs for the 17th time or for Bill Seth's 17th time out of like 20 seasons he's been at Kansas. An incredible, incredible accomplishment from a dude who coached, who lost six of our eight kids last year, two of them being first-round draft picks and Achaya Baji and Christian Brown. From going on a three-game losing streak in January, which have people writing us off, for him to get the momentum back, and now we're on a five, six-game winning streak heading into March, it's got to be one of the most sweetest feelings ever in his career because a lot of people wrote him off in January after they lost three in a row. And now he's sitting here, Big 12, regular season champs, in the best 
conference in college basketball. Josh, Bill Self is the best coach in the college basketball country. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any just like we, we mentioned it when right retired that Bill Self was he's now with his best as we've mentioned time. Uh, Go ahead, Coy. Thoughts on Kansas? Josh is kind of having internet troubles right now. Thoughts on Kansas clinching the Big 12 regular season title? I mean, I know it was a few weeks ago when we talked, and it was like, you know, this is where the Kansas had the potential, but it was like, you know, how do they respond? How do they, you know, kind of play up to that level, you know, and, you know, especially being a smaller team, how do they defend? How, you know, how do they do – of having shooters step up or somebody step up other than Jalen Wilson, who's leading what he's leading the conference and what points per game, rebounds per game, per game, and what double doubles. And it's like, you know, and they finally had some guys step up and they turned it around. And I mean, they made the run that we kind of discussed that they, you know, that there was going to be somebody that made. And I mean, Bill Self single-handedly, and I can say is one of the best conference or coaches in the country, without a doubt in my mind, because he flat out is getting Kansas in the right position year after year after year. And it just goes to show, you know, what, 18 out of the last 23 you just said? Uh, 17 to the last 20. 17 to the last 20, yeah. So, I mean, 17 out of 20, like, you know, he's got to be doing something right. And he 100% is getting Kansas rolling and taking care of business. And, I mean, uh, they started the year out. We had a little bit of a hiccup and kind of worried when they were in third place. And it's like they've seen and they've absolutely came back and are dominant. And to keep in mind here, you know, most of us or most of the college basketball world considers Coach K, Mike Ashesi, the greatest coach of all time. And just keep in mind the stat that we just mentioned that KU is uh, Bill Sel- under Bill Self that's 17th time in 20 seasons. Coach K won 13 ACC titles in 43 years at Duke. That says a lot about what Coach Bill Self has done at Kansas. The fact that he's won 17 or 20, and Coach K that we all consider as the go, or at least majority of us, won 13 and 43. That's incredible, Josh. It just goes to show how hard the ACC was compared to the Big 12 that he coached. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think they're, I, no, I think they're both incredible. And, yeah, all credit to Kansas. Texas completely messed it up at the end. But, hey, you know, Kansas will stay the kings of the mountain until somebody can come take it from them, and that ain't going to be this year. So be the man. You got to beat the man. And woo, Kansas is the man in the Big 12. So much so that Oklahoma and Texas are running off to the SEC to make it a better, easier life for them. That's definitely not why they're leaving the Big 12, but that's what I think. That's why I like to think they're that's the reason they're leaving the Big 12. But anyhow, Kansas clinches the share or clinches the Big 12 title 17 times out of Bill Self's 20-season career at Kansas. Incredible accomplishment, rock chalk. Let's go to the SEC. Josh, to sum it up like this, Kentucky and Louisville both had shitty senior nights. Louisville, you know, we know what happened with the fucking dog shitting on the damn court at halftime. Who gives a damn about that? It just sums up Louisville's season in a whole. But Vanderbilt spoils Kentucky's senior night, 68-66. Jordan White hit two clutch, clutch buckets down the stretch. They were down 66-64 with like 40 seconds to go. He gets a jump, he gets a layup, ties the game up. 
and then hits the game winner with three seconds to go. And Kentucky loses to Vanderbilt 68-66. Josh, this is your team, your conference. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's disappointing. This is three times in the SEC alone that we've lost at Rupp Arena. We've lost uh, South Carolina, uh, Vanderbilt, and who is the other team to beat us? Uh, Arkansas, I think, who's the other team. It, it, I mean, it's not good. Vandy's better. We tried to mention this, uh, I go back four or five episodes ago. We said Vandy is a potential bid stealer. We know how good they are. They've been playing. They've won seven of eight now. They play an incredible brand of offense where they spread the floor. But what's disappointing about this is that senior night, you're rolling. A lot of people started to pick you to go far in the tournament. You've got up to a six line, potentially a five seed was in play. You could clinch a third place spot in the SEC tournament for a better draw, all this, and you kind of just shit the bed. Three of 19 from the three-point line. They shot like 33% from the field, 19% or whatever it was from three-point line. Just everything was short. If you watch that game, especially in the first half, so many shots were short at the front of the rim, and it didn't make sense. Then Kaysan Wallace goes goes out with an injury, and then the offense looked even worse. No true point guard. It was a bad night overall. And i got to give a lot of credit to Vandy. Of course, it, it's customary. You play Kentucky and Rupp Arena, you're going to hit shit you never do. I forget what player. Maybe it's Ezra Magnon. Hit a three that hit the back iron and just fell in. And then Jordan Wright, the game winner, he goes to the middle of the paint, does a little spin move, slipping and falling, it goes in. It's just one of those nights. Now you got people talking heads saying, well, Kentucky, I, I just, I know they're not going to make a run. How do you know? How do you it's, know? It, it's, it's just saying shit. It's just saying shit to say shit for clicks and views. But you, there's four teams that we have a good idea that probably, or at least you would think would go far. Everybody else. We've seen this every year. Michigan sucked last year. Got in the tournament as a, a play-in team or as a number 11 seed, made sweet 16. North Carolina almost shouldn't have been in tournament, almost won the title. So these teams get in the tournament, no matter where they're at, they can make a run. So don't listen to those type of talking heads, but no. you know, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. That's all I can say. It's disappointing. Cause now it's your 10th loss. You got to go to Arkansas Saturday. You were probably expected to lose that game. What's the status of case on Wallace? So yeah, Kentucky's gonna try to figure it out, and uh, I guess everybody's along for the roller coaster ride. Yeah, I mean that's just the story that goes, and the same people that, or the people that's been saying that Kentucky can't make a run in the tournament, are the same people that will tell you day in and day out that how, oh how wide open this NCAA tournament is this year. But they want to say shit after Kentucky loses the game. Listen, I ain't a Kentucky fan, but that I seen that quote and I just laughed at it because it's ridiculous. People overreact about the dumbest shit ever. But Coy, this is actually Vanderbilt's first time beating Kentucky in Wapawina since 2007. That's incredible. That is incredible. I mean, and hats off to the you know Stackhouse. It's like you know we've we've talked about it, but it's like this year he's really taking them to a new level. He's getting you know he's in, increasing them. And I mean, and he's taking a high academic school to a, a new level on the basketball court and competing in the SEC and doing some great things. And, you know, shout out to him because, I mean, he's he's competing in games that they have never competed in or it's been a very, very long time for sure. So, and I mean, and by, the way, by the way, too, I'm sorry, Corey, um, their best player 
goes out five minutes into the game. He went out with an injury, and they went five guards, basically, and just diced up Kentucky. Stackhouse is doing a tremendous job, and I want to ask you guys real quick before we move on because I know we got to get a move on with it. But Nate Oates is probably going to win SEC Coach of the Year, you would think. And Dennis Gates is going to get some votes. How many votes do you think Jerry Stackhouse should get? Because I think he, like I said, he's not going to win it, but I think he's deserving of some SEC Coach of the Year votes because outside of those two men, and I think he might even be on par with Dennis Gates in a way, I think those three men have done a tremendous job at their schools this year. Absolutely. I would say, I mean, obviously Nate Oates going to win it, but I think almost, the you know, it was almost expected that Alabama was going to kind of return at the top of the conference. And, you know, I mean, Stackhouse, or I, I kind of like the guys that kind of surprise everybody and turn into or turn a team into a, a competing team or and win some games and actually compete. And I think, you know, that just goes to show the, you know, you're coaching guys up improvement and development and stuff like that. And I think he, I think he easily should be in the top two, in my opinion. And I think he should honestly be competing for the overall conference championship over NATO's, in my opinion, honestly. I think he deserves a couple of votes. I'm not sure. I don't think he'll win it by any means. Uh, they are fit or six right now in the SEC conference. But I think he's done a hell of a job, and I think he's a good coach. And I think he definitely deserves another year available to get this shit going, turning around. Because I think I would love to see them in the NCAA tournament. And I think this only well, helps their resume to get in. Well, real quick, I was going to end this point or end this topic on this. Vandy, had they not lost last week to LSU, which is a really bad loss, that made them eight in a row. Um, they would still have to do work at the SEC tournament. But I think Vandy, as bad as the bubble is, Vandy still might creep up on the bubble come Selection Sunday and make it interesting. And I would not want to play them next week in Nashville. I would not because as small as they play, the way they spread the floor and shoot the basketball and they play so tough on defense, they're not, as as far as talent-wise, they're not better than the majority of the teams in SEC but they're playing damn well right now. And I would not want to see them in the SEC tournament right now. And if I had to describe the people that's complaining and saying Kentucky can't make a run in the NCAA tournament, the one word I'd use is joke. Joke. Yeah, we played well. We played hard. We should have won the game. Um, very, very disappointing. Um, you know, obviously they made some, made some plays. We had a hard time staying in front of them at the end of the day. Um, I'm just sick and tired of our guys getting smashed down there. Smashed! It's now. Oh, just, we'll get ready to play Tennessee. We were, we were incredibly outmanned at the end. Had three, four guys on the bench in foul trouble. Joke! Coy, I think someone's tired of getting smashed. What do you think? I would have to say I agree with you on that one. <laughs> oh, my God. He went off in that post-game press, uh, press release, what the hell that even was. Oh, my God. That's so funny. That's going to be – those. both of those clips are going to be a soundbite for ECB going forward. You just watch. Anytime Coy says something that pisses me off, I'm going to play that joke clip for him because that shit's just too damn gold to not play. Oh, my God. Obviously, that came after um, Alabama swept uh, Auburn this year. Uh, they beat them 90-85. to 85. Auburn had a chance to uh, – they competed in this game, definitely had a chance to win it. And, obviously, um, Coach Pearl was not happy about some calls, about his players getting 
um, quote unquote smash down low. Um, just thoughts on this clip and man, you can say what you want about Bruce Pearl, but man, he shows the fight, he shows the passion, and I love it. Well, I don't blame him because it was a very physical contest, and their best player, Johnny Broom, fouls out with like seven minutes to go on a play that Mark Sears, I think it was, either Mark Sears or Javon Quinterly, had him hooked and threw him to the ground, and they called a foul on Johnny Broom. So I don't blame him. And he's probably frustrated too because this is the second game this year where they had Alabama dead to rights. They had them beat. They had them down double digits. Big talking like, what was it, 16, 18 points in this ballgame and allowed Alabama to come back in and beat them. So I, I get the frustration. I, it's a funny clip that will live on forever. But I understand the frustration because when your best guy goes out with seven minutes to go on a very questionable call, I would be upset too. But Auburn continues their losing streak. They show that they can play with these best teams. And then Alabama on their end of the floor, they keep here lately playing very tight ball games. It's like we talked about with Purdue when they kept messing around and playing with their food and playing close games until Indiana finally got them. If Alabama, I know it's at the home stretch of the year, so tired legs, it's a grueling season. But if Alabama doesn't start getting back on the horse and blowing teams out, I'm afraid they're going to screw around and lose a game that they shouldn't. And they better hope it comes in either now in the SEC tournament because it might come in the NCAA tournament, despite them being arguably the best team in the country for the last month and a half, two months. Um, I just, I love the fact that they're winning close games, but I don't love the fact that they're in close games and finding themselves down big. So kind of your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I have the same sentiment. I mean, if you think about this Alabama team, they're still – they got a lot of talent, but they're so young. They got, what, three freshmen starting on the 75 right now. Um, and normally the last, like, four or five national championship squads, most of them has been backed by experienced players. You know, maybe you have one team and they do have at least one star-level freshman. But they definitely weren't backed by three freshmen. I think that's a little bit concerning, even though they do got the talent to potentially get to the Final Four. But if I'm them, obviously you don't want to lose – but y'all would rather lose in the SEC tournament because it doesn't matter if you lose in the first game or not. They're already a set one seed, so it doesn't really fucking matter if they yeah, lose. Yeah, they're locked. Yeah, they're, they're a locked. lock one seed, so it really doesn't even matter if they lose first game or go on to win the SEC tournament because it's not like it's going to hurt their um, seeding at all because they're going to be a one seed no matter what they do. So I'd rather, if you're going to lose, at least do it in the SEC tournament and get it out of the way now, and then you can figure it out and make a run and potentially win six games in a row and cut some nets down. But uh, that's my thoughts gonna be that. some, There's going to be some teams, Corey, in the NCAA tournament that if they fall behind 15, 16 points to, they ain't coming all the way back. There, no. There's going to be teams that they ain't coming all the way back from. No, absolutely not. I mean, there's going to be teams. I mean, and it could be, you know, early first weekend, you know, second round, eight, nine matchups, or, you know, one, eight, nine uh, matchups that could potentially – you know, punish them. I mean, if they get behind and some team gets hot, and I mean, if you give a, a little bit lower team a little bit of hope, and next thing you know is they make you pay. And, you know, and the thing is, you know, I mean, look at Indiana. Indiana has trailed in, I think, six straight games now uh, going into halftime. It's finally starting to bite them in the butt. They're three and three in the last six. Um, you know, that's just a prime example. It's like, you know, you keep flirting with it. Purdue is the other one. We talked about it numerous times. Now Purdue's, you know, struggle a little bit. And, you know, lost, what, three out of the last five, three out of the last six. So, it's, you know, all these teams, you know, when they when they te- keep teams around, 
you know, teams will eventually make them pay. And hopefully it's not at the time where it's win or go home. Well, and, and keep in mind too, NCAA tournament time is the time where the entire nation is watching. And sometimes these freshmen feel like they got to show out or certain players feel like they got to show out. But conversely, if you fall behind, you feel like you've got to try to rush to get back ahead. There's tight rims, as we talked about historically in NCAA tournament sites. Shots aren't falling. You fall behind double digits. Um, you start pushing the action, playing outside of what you've done all year. That's how upsets happen. And I, I still love this Alabama team. I think they're great. I think that, again, they may still be the best team in the country. But they've got to stop playing around with teams. You cannot get in the NCAA tournament and fall behind to, as you mentioned, an 8-9 seed, or you get in the Sweet 16 and fall behind uh, to whoever 15, 20 points because that's way harder to come back from. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you start getting in the the top sixty eight, and all of a sudden, it's like those teams, those teams are going to make you pay. And you know, just talking about what you talked about, tight rims and tough, you know, tough to get shots to fall. Louisville being a host site is going to be really fearful because you know they don't make shots there. It doesn't mean anybody else is going to. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh man, let's Thank move on. Back. I wish you'd have stayed gone. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love it. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Final game that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about it briefly because it wasn't really a big game, but it was an upset. Uh, Notre Dame takes down number 25 ranked Pittsburgh Panthers, 88 to 81. This was Mike Bray's last game in Notre Dame, or at least in the home building. I don't know if they got another game after this. I think they actually do. Yeah, they do. They play Clemson. But it was his last home game coaching for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, but they came on the top. It was a sold-out building. Had a lot of former players there uh, to <clears throat> help us to support him. Um, and Notre Dame, you know, Cormac Ryan and Marcus Hammond both had 20 uh, points apiece. And, but the biggest thing for this, with Pittsburgh's loss, it's now a three-way tie in the ACC. Miami, Florida, or Miami. Virginia and Pittsburgh are all tied with a 14-5 conference record, and Pittsburgh goes into Miami this Saturday, and whoever wins that game is going to at least clinch a share of the ACC title. So them losing this game made that top of the half of the ACC conference that much interesting. And, boy, Saturday, it's going to be a big night for the ACC. Absolutely. nobody. This is the conference nobody wants to win. Clemson had it in their hands, lost. Virginia had it in their hands, played like shit, lose. Pittsburgh, in their destiny, in their own hands, lose. Miami, it's been the revolving door of teams that do not want to win this conference. And it'll be determined on Saturday night, the final regular season night, as you mentioned. But this conference, we've talked about it and waxed poetic about it all season. This is a terrible conference this year. Uh, and nobody wants to win. Good on Notre Dame, letting Mike Bray at least his home career at Notre Dame in the Joyce Center, go out with a win. But Pittsburgh, you're killing yourself because they're on the bubble still. Like, they are not a set tournament team. They're probably going to make it 21-9, and 14-5, but their non-con schedule was not great. And they can't afford too many losses. Like we mentioned in the last episode with Clemson, they can't keep losing these games. So it would be wild if they end up winning a share of the ACC conference or winning an outright but don't make the NCAA tournament. But – yeah, the ACC's been terrible this year, and uh, that's kind of par for the course right now. 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about some of these previews. We got some big games this Saturday. Uh, let's start it off and go back to the SEC Conference and the game that I wish mattered, but it really doesn't since Alabama already clinched uh, the SEC this year. Number two ranked Alabama goes into number 24 ranked Texas A&M. Josh, this is your conference. Who you got winning? Um, well, both seeds are locked in Nashville next week. The Alabama is going to be the one. A&M is going to be the two. So they're playing for bragging rights. A&M still playing for the tournament life as well. Again, non-con was in the 300s. Not great. So I think Alabama has got the, obviously the talent advantage in this. But I've thought for a week or two now, there's something about A&M. They need the win. I think where Alabama takes their loss. I don't think they even take it in Nashville. I think right here is where A&M gets them. A&M going to slow the game down. Slugfest, they've got a star and Wade Taylor the fourth. I think AM grinds this game to an absolute halt, plays a low scoring, ugly physical game, and knocks off Alabama to give Alabama their wake up call that they need. I've got AM winning a brutal looking game, but winning nonetheless 59 56. Coy? I was going to say, I think, uh, I think this is the one that finally comes back to bite. Alabama in the butt, um, you know. I think I think they go in and uh, and struggle. I, like you said, I think A and M really sh- slows the game down and really makes it a dog fight um, that they you know they finally take advantage of. Um, I think this will be the wake up call for to really piss off Alabama to hopefully go on a little bit of run again, like they did last time they took a you know a loss. Um, I think it's going to be a sixty four to fifty six game though. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you both. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think Texas A&M, Texas A&M uh, takes it, holds home court in college station, and gets the job done. I think 68-64, Texas A&M gets the job done. Moving on to the next game, though. Like I said with Alabama and Texas A&M, it probably would be a little bit more intriguing if this game actually mattered, but it really don't matter anymore. Number three went Kansas, goes in. At number nine, Wink, Texas, in the Moody Center. And I'll go ahead and start it off. I want Kansas to win this game because we are on a seven-game winning streak. But with this being at the Moody Center and coming off of an emotional night and senior night where we won and we clinched the share and now we actually won the Big 12 outright, I think Kansas takes it now. And I think Texas home to court. And they really need the momentum heading into March. Um, Texas gets the job done, 78-73. to 73. Texas wins. I'm sticking with you because if you look at the conference race, they may not be able to win a share of the Big 12 this year, but they are in a dead heat tie with Baylor and Kansas State at 11 and 6 in conference right now. So they need to clinch that two seed by all any means necessary. I think Texas musters up enough, gets the revenge on Kansas for a few weeks ago. I think Texas wins this game. Probably really exciting. I think they do enough to neutralize uh, Kansas's backcourt the way Grady Dick, the way Dewan Harris is playing. And I think Texas wins this game on senior night for them. Texas wins 81-74 and gets the two seed in the Big 12 tournament next week. So I don't know if you guys remember, you know, a couple weeks back when I, I went against Texas in the Baylor game. And, you know, you guys told me I was always wrong. Because, you know, you just don't go against Texas in the Moody Center. And so I'm going to hold for the three-peat. I don't think Kansas goes in and wins. I think uh, I think this one, I'm going to have to agree with Peyton on for one time. 
Um, I think Texas takes the win here. Uh, I'm going to go 79 to 72. You literally agreed with him the last game we just talked about, A&M and Alabama. Yeah, he uh-huh. okey-doked me. I thought he was actually picked Kansas, and then he said Texas, and now I'm just mad. Anyway, <laughs> let's just let's just move on here. Now, this I'm game does actually – Wrong, you know. Well, this game actually matters here because we just literally just talked about it. Number 25-ranked Pittsburgh goes in at number 16-ranked Miami, the Hurricanes. Stay in the back because there's a hurricane coming through. Miami, too much guard play. Jim Lanega is a hell of a coach. He's going to make another one in March like he did last year. Miami beats Pittsburgh 84-79 to and clinches the share of the ACC regular season title. God, this is boring. We all keep agreeing, but I'm going with you because it's at home. Miami's backcourt is better than Pittsburgh's, even though I do like Jamarius, Bear, or Jamarius Burton. Miami's going to be too much in this game. I think it'll be high scoring. Not a whole lot of defense is probably going to be played. So I'm with that, I'm going to say Miami wins 91-82, clinches, like you said, a share of the ACC regular season title, and puts Pittsburgh with work to do in Greensboro next week. That would give them 10 losses, put them at 21-10 and 10 on a two-game slide. Pittsburgh's going to have to at least win a game or two in the ACC tournament next week to secure a bid. I'm going with you, Miami. This is really getting boring because I have to agree with you guys. The conference that nobody wants to win and Pittsburgh has shown they don't want to win it. And I think Miami will, you know, take a clinch or a, a share of it. I think, uh, you know, they have easily, you know, if not the best, but, you know, top uh, guards in the country. I think they're going to, you know, just be way too much for Pittsburgh, especially on the road uh, down, down south and, I think uh, I think they win this one, uh, eighty-two to. Last game of the docket, we go to the Pac-12, the Conference of Champions. We go to number eight ranked Arizona at number four ranked UCLA. It's the rematch. UCLA's already won the Pac-12 outright, so it doesn't really matter uh, for first place implications. That's not really on the line. But what's on the line is, for one, it's UCLA's senior night. That's on the line. And two, Arizona beat them in Arizona about three weeks ago in a close game. Um, so UCLA's going to Arizona, get some revenge. And Arizona's tied for second right now with USC. They're both 13-5, and five, so it's big for Arizona as well. Okay, it definitely is. Corey, we're going to go to you first. Who wins, UCLA or Arizona? I'm going spoil alert here. I'm going uh, Arizona comes in and knocks off UCLA. So I'm going to uh, – I'm just going to start it off. I think uh, I think Arizona is going to come in, play spoiler on uh, senior day. I think it's going to be an emotional day for UCLA, and I think, uh, I think Arizona just comes in and sweeps the season series. I think they take it uh, 78-74. I'm right there with – I'm right there with you, Corey. I think the guy we've been calling out, we just called him out in episode 141 with Phil Payton. Kirk Reza needs to be good for Arizona to be final four bound. And I think this is a game where he shines back out. He steps back into the spotlight. I could see Kirk Reza, Courtney Ramey backcourt doing enough to frustrate. Even though UCLA, you look at them, Tiger Campbell has been unbelievable his whole career at UCLA. Jaime Hockey has been unbelievable. UCLA is getting better production. Adam Bona, the freshman, starting to play better. Armari Bailey, who we dogged back in the early part of the year, 
He's figured his stuff out, playing like the five-star kid he is. UCLA's defense is elite-level good. We've known that. That's a Mick Cronin thing. Arizona, when they play at their best, is better than UCLA, though. I think we see good Arizona in this ballgame. They pound the rock inside. Kirk Reza hits shots from the outside, runs his mouth, start talking shit to the players. Arizona wins this game by six. Okay, well, this just got more exciting um, because I'm going to go against y'all and say UCLA holds home court. UCLA has the best point guard in the Pac-12 conference in Tiger Campbell. They have the best defender in the Pac-12 conference in Jalen Clark. They got the best player in the Pac-12 conference in Jaime Hackass Jr. They got two of the best freshmen in the Pac-12 in Adin Bonner and Amari Bailey. And not to mention, I think Mick Cronin is the best coach in the Pac-12 conference. They got the best, the best, the best in almost every single position. And not to mention, it's a revenge game for UCLA. Not to is indeed a um what's the one I'm looking for here? Oh, it's seen and nine. And also, if they win this game, if they want to get a one seed in the tournament, they need to win this game. And I think they're gonna hold home court and they're gonna get the job done. Bruins take the victory 84 to 76. Bruins get hey, the job real done. quick, real quick before we get out of here, because again, this is a game that doesn't matter, but both teams are playing well. North Carolina is playing for the tournament life. It is weird we're to the final regular season game. Nobody's talking about Carolina outside the triangle and then the casual basketball fans that only watch college basketball during March. So real quick, just prediction-wise, does North Carolina keep their hopes of a tournament alive with a home win in Chapel Hill against their rivals who they lost to once already this year? I originally had this game on the format, and I decided to take it out because I am not interested in this game at all. UNC needs to win this one, but I don't think they're going to do it. I like the way Duke's been playing here lately, and it's just going to be too much Tyrese Parker for him. He's been balling out. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the country, especially in the ACC Conference. Duke beats them, sweeps them. I don't have a score because I actually don't know, but I think Duke goes into Chapel Hill and beats them like they did and came in and Duke sweeps them this year. 100% agree, I think. Uh... I think Duke absolutely just sweeps the season series. I don't think it, you know, even as anything to be excited about. I I'm with you guys. I, I thought you might take North Carolina, but I'm with you. And you want to know how Duke's back? You want to know how we all know? The other night, Tyrese Proctor had an insane Neymar level flop. That's a good sign that Duke is back. <laughs> uh, John Shire's finally his fingerprints all over Duke because that flop oh, reminded me. <laughs> That flop reminded me of Neymar, and that means Duke basketball is back, baby. Duke sweeps the series. I was just curious what you guys thought about it. Uh, yeah, you know, I you know, I said I don't, I don't, I'm not giving a score. That's not saying I'm saying Duke goes into Chapel Hill and just beats the shit out of him by like 20 plus. I'm not saying that. It's probably gonna be a close game, but I'm just saying I'm just not excited for this game at all. Even though UNC needs to win this one, um, but I still it's think Duke goes fun- in there and beats them. It is once Duke beats them, it is going to be a hell of a storyline next week in Greensboro because all eyes will be on North Carolina because they'll have to win the conference tournament to get the AQ. And it's going to be fun if they can rise to the challenge for a second straight year, or will they falter and uh, all those guys come back for nothing? It's going to be fun, though. Yes. Um, that's the do you want to talk about um, who does Indiana play Saturday? Do they play someone? Who the hell they play Michigan. Play? They play Michigan. Uh, Michigan. Coy, who you got? I got Indiana. I think, you know, I think they respond. They have another home game. It's senior day. 
they've already beat Michigan once, and I think they take them again. Um, I think uh, I think Woodson doesn't allow them to get embarrassed back to back games at home. Yeah, Josh, I don't see, especially on CNN. and I, I don't see Indiana taking two losses in the Webb and Assembly Hall. Indiana nah, wins. No, it, it's senior day. They're playing for a double bye in the Big Ten. They they beat Michigan some way, somehow. They they beat Michigan. By the way, real quick, Peyton, are you going to mention the OVC that will be there? Yes, uh, I'm going to talk about that. Uh, we're definitely going to be at the OVC tournament this year or this weekend on Saturday to cover it for you. The women's side, I forgot what time that game tips off. I think it starts at like 2 p.m. or something like that, the championship for the OVC women's. And then I think the OVC men starts at like 7 or something like that. 7, yeah. Yeah. But either way, we'll be there live in living color covering it for you guys. Um, got a credentials for it about a couple of days ago. We're excited to get there and be able to watch some games. Um, Josh? Since we talked about Indiana, we talked about Kansas, Kentucky plays Arkansas. Who you got? Um, I obviously my heart wouldn't say Kentucky, but I I've thought for a couple weeks, even when we were on that win streak, I think Arkansas wins this. And they're just a mismatch problem right now, and especially if Kason's not ready to go. No point guard, no party. So Arkansas wins this game. But hey, real quick on the OVC, because I know we got to get out of here. We're going long today. Um. It's the I'm so excited to be there in Evansville to watch a team get their bid punch to the NCAA tournament. Whether that if you got OVC quarterfinal games tonight, Thursday, as we are recording, you know, five seed Southeast Missouri is playing four seed Tennessee State. The winner is going to play Moorhead State, the one seed tomorrow in the semifinals. The bottom side of the bracket, you got three seed UT Martin playing six seed SIU Edwardsville, who pulled a, a mini upset. Um, the winner of that plays two seed Tennessee Tech. I don't care who it is. Saturday is going to be special. Can't wait to bring you guys the live coverage. Excited as hell about that. We're going to see bids punch this weekend. Absolutely. I can't wait to watch. Hopefully, uh, Moorhead State, they are the one seed. Hopefully, they can get to the championship game and we get to watch Alex Gross play in post because he's a, he's six foot ten. He can get some buckets. Man, he's a fun player to watch. Keep an eye on him. So, hopefully, they can get the job done and get to, to where we can watch them in Evansville. But, you know, from Hauser. He's from yeah. Hauser. Yeah, that's yeah. true. He is from Hauser. I forgot all about that. Um, Solid player, a solid team. Hopefully, we get to watch them. But yeah, we will be at the OVC tournament. Um, before I, I say I agree with you, Josh. I think Arkansas beats Kentucky. By the way, before I get sidetracked, Coy, do you agree? Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. Down goes the Cats. Well, there it is. We sweep on majority of our predictions, besides uh, the UCLA Arizona one. Uh, but that's the end of the show. Thank you guys so much for joining in. Make sure you give this podcast a five star review. What What do you want now? Don't forget, if you're listening to us tonight when it comes out on Thursday or if you're listening to it today, tomorrow, whenever, on Friday, tonight, well, actually, Friday night, it's week two on Twitter Spaces, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Our guy, Phil, is going to be with Dan Voss, a friend in the friend of the show and voter in our ECB Top 25, along with many other bracketologists, former guests from this past year, Jonathan Warner, uh, including a whole host of other bracketologists. We'll be doing another bracket breakdown show. A lot's changed in the past seven days. Make sure you tune into it on Twitter Spaces, 8 p.m. Eastern, for all your bracketology talk. It was a fun one last week. It's going to go another hour this week. It's going to be another fun, riveting talk with many of the top bracketologists in the country about the current state of the college basketball bubble, the brackets, 
everything in between as we are getting closer to next Sunday, Selection Sunday. So don't miss it. Set an alarm, 8 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. And with that being said, if you don't go watch that on Twitter Spaces, then you're going to get smashed. Catch y'all next week, next Sunday on episode 143 of the podcast. My name is Peyton for Josh, Coy, and Phil, who's not here. Shout out to Matt for joining us early on, Road to the Garden. We'll catch y'all next time. Peace, y'all.